0: Under the Justice of the Ark is the title of tonight's message. I was, As we look at this particular passage, we'll look at verses 18 uh, and 19. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. Uh, what are some different kinds of fear? Myso- mysophobia is a fear of dirt. Hydrophobia is a fear of water. You'd be in a bad day today. Uh, Nyctophobia is a fear of darkness, acrophobia is a fear of high places, taxophobia is fear of being buried alive, xenophobia is a fear of strangers, necrophobia is a fear of the dead, claustrophobia is fear of confined places, triskydecaphobia is a fear of the number 13. Unfortunately, many people have learned to fear things that they probably shouldn't have never learned, uh, you know, the fear of God, the fear of the God. Really the fear of the Lord. Too few who have acrophobia have learned to fear God and to keep his commandments. Many who have some of these fears give no heed to the words of Christ. In Matthew ten twenty eight. I'm reading illustration for you. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Many fear what man can do to them, but not what God will do at the judgment day if they do not repent and turn to him in faith. End quotes. And tonight, as we look at verses 18 and 19, we will talk about the fear of the Lord. And again, it is something that we, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, as the scriptures tell us there in Proverbs. In verse 18 of Revelation 11, would you follow along with me? And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. And should it destroy them which destroy the earth? And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunders and an earthquake and great hail. I want us to think about this. Justice is difficult to consider. None of us like to be the judge. In fact, uh, you know, none of us like to be judged. None of us like, there's a fear for many in being disliked, hated, ridiculed. Realize this, that if someone hates us, despises us, scorns us, that the words of a human can bring you and I, at times, to a despair of life. By the very words of a man or woman, we can have a fear of them, and a fear of falling out of favor with them, and it can bring great depression. Now, none of us wanted the consequences of our sin, but it's there. The justice or consequences of my life are felt in both the present and the future. Now, Jeremiah aptly illustrates for us such response to the judgment, dislike, or hatred of men. And in, Deuteron- excuse me, in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. Jeremiah, I mean, he's in the pits. He said, everyone's making fun of me. God, I'm preaching your word. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and the people hate me. Guess I'll go eat worms. (laughs) Kind of right. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. He said, the word that I'm supposed to preach To Israel, they mock me, they scorn me, no one listens to me. Now he was told they wouldn't listen to him. They hated Jeremiah. They didn't want to listen to his words. And yet, he was given a mission to do. And it is so easy for us as believers to have a fear of man and lack a fear of God. Do you realize that a fear of what man has to say is a fear of the justice system of this world rather than the justice system of God? If what I am supposed to do and what God has called me to do and I don't do it because of a fear of what others may say or think, then what I'm doing is I am fearing the justice of this world rather than the justice of God. Many people may not accept Jesus Christ because of what friends and family acquaintances acquaintances and others may think. They're fearing the reprisal or the justice of emotions and actions of others towards them. Now, as Christians, we have been called to fear God. This is a holy, reverential fear that is couched, or is placed in the reality that he is the ultimate judge with whom I will give account of my time and my life here on earth. We like to think of the Lord Jesus as a miracle-working, wonderful, loving, caring, compassionate Savior. But His love was the fact that He knew the wrath that was coming on you and I against all who are dead and have not placed their faith in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick or the alive, that word quick is alive, and the dead as appearing in his kingdom. These quick are the believers. John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, and shall never die, Believest thou this. So three times over, he's confirming that if you believe in Christ, you're alive. But in Ephesians 2, 5, it tells us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. So the dead are lost in sin. They're dead. They're dead to God. There's no relationship with God. They're completely alienated from Him. Now, I want to ask you a question, this, several questions this evening. And there is a point to all of this in regards to judging the dead and reward to the servants of God. And to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name. So there's rewards... And there's judgment. So I ask you the question, and I want you to, maybe after we're done this evening, or coming into the invitation, will you face the judgment of God for refusing Jesus as your Savior? Maybe you can say, yes, I will not face that judgment. Will you face the judgment of God for not living as Christ as your Savior? Will you face the scornful look of Christ for being selfish with time and resources? Will you have any fruit that remains eternity for eternity? Souls for whom Christ led, you know, souls for whom Christ died. Will you receive any crowns for your faithfulness to Christ and His Church? Now, each of these questions tonight is about ultimately under about the judgment that awaits every one of us. Now, I understand we do we not only is it judgment but, but I, there's a fear of god understanding that in my fear i do not want to displease him i do not want to have him disappointed in how i have conducted myself as a believer in christ each of these questions as i said is ultimately about understanding that judgment awaits every one of us I want to ask you the question, but whose courthouse? The courthouse of the redeemed or the courthouse of the reprobate? Would you like to be judged before the council of God? We know from James 4.14, your life will soon be over. It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth of the way. But your decision on Christ and how you live towards Him will determine how He judges you. You said, Pastor, but I'm a believer. I have no judgment. Well, yes and no. Yes, you won't have, you won't face hell. Yes, you won't face eternity without God. Yes, you've had victory over the power of sin, but there's a judgment seat of Christ which is for the believer. And I will talk about that. Your life will be judged, and so you must do all you can to please the Savior whose blood was shed For your pardon, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Father, I pray as I preach on these truths tonight that it would be very clear. Lord, I pray it would be accurate and precise to your word. May I speak no more words than ought to be spoken. True to your word. Father, I need your help this night. I pray that there be a clarity of understanding, a clarity of speech. And so God, I commit this time into your hands. God, I need your help. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. In verse 19, there's something we find here. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And uh, the idea, going back to verse 18, that they should be judged. That their actions are judged, it's a a passive, the word judge there is passive, so someone else is doing the judging. They're not doing the judging themselves. We know it's God that does the judging. We know that from Scripture. And we find something that's interesting here, and then you come to verse chapter 12, but they put the temple in verse 19. As in heaven, the ark of the covenant, you're under the ark, and that's why I call it under the justice of the ark, because... I want you to look with me at Romans three twenty-five. I, I need to lay out why verse nineteen and tying in with verse eighteen. I'm, I'm going to try to do that this evening. That's my endeavor, and uh, as we think about what was it that was in the ark, what components, what elements, what materials were in the ark of the covenant that the Jewish uh, priests and, and, and that they would carry with them. The Levites were the ones that carried it. But Romans chapter three verse twenty-five. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The whole, that word just is conformed, that word, there, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, conformed to the rules of justice. Founded in truth. A just, And then it goes on to say, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That word justifier is he who pardons and absolves from guilt and punishment. The whole idea here is a courtroom and of the legal system, guilty and not guilty. So immediately it's interesting that just following the discussion on the judgment of the dead and the saints and the prophets and, and those uh, mentions here in verse 18 that just following this, there's a scene of a temple of God in heaven. Now, what is in the Ark of the Covenant? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 9. It tells us this. What components are in the Ark of the Covenant? Hebrews 9, verses 3 through 7. Particularly, verse 4 is the one that gives us the information uh, of what's in there. And you can find that in the Old Testament as well, but this is kind of a... A condensed way of saying it, other than you can find it from the New Testament. But uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3 And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So let me explain this. <clears throat> let me just kind of use my pulpit here as a kind of an example. Uh, imagine this is like the temple courtyard. You come in, and this is the courtyard. Okay? So you enter into the courtyard. Now, the courtyard would obviously be bigger than the holy place. But you come into the, the courtyard, and uh, the first thing you'll have, uh, you'll have your uh, brazen altar where they do the sacrifice of the animals. You'll also have uh, your, your, uh, bra- the laver, right, the washbowl, the washpot. And see, we understand in scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no entrance to God apart from sacrifice. So you come in the temple, and you have your altar here, you have your basin here, the, bra- the brazen laver, or the wash pot, if you would, a big bowl of water, and, and they would wash themselves before they would come into the holy place. And you would have your candlesticks, your showbread, and then, right here, before you come into the holy of holies, this is the holy place, before you come into the holy of holies, you would have an altar of incense, and the scriptures tell us the altar of incense as the prayers of the saints. Very sweet to God. You come into the Holy, Holy of Holies, and there in front of you is the Ark of the Covenant with its two uh, poles through it. You have the two cherubims with their, their wings outstretched over the mercy seat. So you have this kind of little uh, this box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, within that, then you have your two poles with which they would put upon their shoulders, and the Levites would carry it because they weren't allowed to touch it, Remember? Uzzah tried to change it and God killed him. But, anyways, you have these two cherubims with their wings outstretched and they touch each other. And it's one on either side and, and they touch in the middle. Well, in between that is the mercy seat. Let's read what is inside of this. So they come into the holiest of all, the Holy of Holies. Okay, which had, verse 4, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid. Uh, round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, so you have manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So you have here manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments that were on the stones that Moses got from Mount Sinai. Now the law, and all of this going forth, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Between those cherubims, there was the idea of a mercy seat, and they would, as they went in year by year into the holy place, the holy of holies, they would uh, sprinkle the blood upon it. And... uh, Shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of people of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. And they go into the Holy of Holies, but they do not enter where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the cloud of the Lord was, without blood. Because they touch the Ark, the law against which they are not supposed to touch it, and they die. They come with blood and they pour it over. There, they pour it over the Ark of the Covenant. You see, these commandments only condemn. The high priest alone, once a year, but not without blood. They needed a forgiveness. There was a justice system. They speak of, if you never approach the mercy seat, then the commandments are your abiding law. You see, we are under the law of the land here. We want to get to God. we're We're under the law of God. We're all condemned guilty in the justice system of God. In Exodus 25, 21, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. The mercy seat was on top of the law. The mercy covered the law that I'm guilty under. Because the law only condemns me. The law only shows me how bad I am, or what, thing, what laws I've broken, what, which laws i breached. It's the mercy on top of the ark that is able to cover my transgressions, my wrongs, my sins. As you have this on top of the ark. So interesting, they put the mercy seat on top of the law. Because without mercy, that law condemns. That's the justice system of God. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14 through 16, for a full context, but verse 15, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, And then it goes on to say, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, before the mercy seat. So upon that mercy seat, upon the Ark of the Covenant, they sprinkle the blood. Jesus is my mercy. Jesus is my forgiveness, my remission of sins. Jesus is upon the law, saying you're innocent. Here's the blood of an innocent life, covering the law of which I'm condemned to hell. Commentary here. On the Day of Atonement, there was a series of sacrifices made. Of these, one was a bull for the sin of the high priest, and a second was a goat for the sin of the people. Leviticus 16 11 through 17 describes a process for offering these two sacrifices. And it was a unique among all the other sacrifices offered. For each of these two sacrifices, the high priest would take some of the blood of the sacrifice through the curtain into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. He would also take the censer of coals and some incense whose smoke would hide the mercy seat so that the priests would not die. God was dwelling above the mercy seat. So to see the mercy seat would be to see God, and that was fatal. The high priest would then sprinkle blood on the mercy seat as well as in front of it, and in that way he made atonement for his own sin and the sin of the people. It's exactly what Jesus did on top of the law. The Ten Commandments are inside that ark. You know why, God, I... Got? I It seems logical that God would hide the ark because he no longer wants that ark to be an idol of the heart. Because Jesus did away with the law. He finished the law. He didn't do away with it. He finished the law. He completed the law. And we find the very thing in Hebrews. Look with me in Hebrews 9, verse 11. Now, how does this tie in, in Revelation 11, with the dead and the saints and the prophets and so forth? Because that determination of dead or essentially alive is an aspect of the mercy seat. It is a truth of a determination that is determined by what you do with that mercy seat and what you do with the justice of the law. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood, what did he do? Entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What did he do? He goes into the holy place. He sheds his blood. On top of the law for you and I. And we're forgiven. That blood covers the law. It said, innocent. What the law condemns, the innocent life of Christ covers and says, you're innocent. Paid in full. That Ark of the Covenant has the Ten Commandments. It has Aaron's rod. It has the manna. The man is like the bread, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but everywhere that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You have the Word of God. You have Aaron's rod, wherein God worked through Aaron's you know, ministry. And then you also have the Ten Commandments. But he entered not into an earthly temple, he enters in the holy place to shed his blood on that mercy seat for all of humanity. Verse 14 of Hebrews 9 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, Offered himself without spot to purge, uh, spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The law says you must continually be perfect, you must never breach the law. Well, none of us are going to accomplish that. Verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, the law, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of internal inheritance. There's forgiveness of the wrongs for breaking God's laws, the Testament, the, 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 the Ten Commandments. And so in heaven... Here is a thundering and all these things going on in Revelation 11, and it's, the idea is there's a justice coming. So as 19 follows verse 18 to let us know, God is saying justice is coming. Now are you dead or are you alive? Are you quick or are you dead? I hope this is making sense. A little commentary here by David Sorensen. Because of Christ's perfect sacrifice, those Old Testament saints might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The new covenant looks forward not only to the future, but all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now, I want you to look. Let's look a little further here in Hebrews nine, verse twenty-four. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is my advocate. Who went how many times the high priest would go in once a year into the holy place holy of holies Now on my behalf and your behalf we find Jesus in the holiest of all places as 24 tells us He appears as my advocate before the judging throne of God verse 27 and as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The truth is, everyone will be judged after death. That holy place, the holiest of holies. If that blood of Jesus is not sprinkled on that law, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the, the righteous. That priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies. He had to go with blood, because without blood, he was condemned. He was dead. It was that innocent life for his life. He had to have an advocate. That picture all throughout the scriptures of an advocate. Adam and Eve, God killed an animal, put the skins on, an advocate. Picturing what Jesus would finally do for us. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Romans 2.16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, understand this, you will be judged. Now, who will be the judges? Now, if you're a believer, here's several things that are really interesting. We're going to look at a number of passages here. But ultimately, our judge is Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you this here. John chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to look at a few verses here in John. John chapter 5. I'm trying to be, I hope, I want to be slow and very methodical as I lay out these truths. I hope it makes sense. Because as this All of this stuff is going on in heaven and the ark is seen. It's very significant that they mention the ark because in that ark is the law. And we are all under the law. We are all bound to the law. Whether you believe in the law or not, you're still under it. John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. It's Jesus. Look with me at verse eight, chapter 8, verse 26 of John. I have many things to say, verse 26 of John 8, and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Christ's judgments are true, they're without fault, and he's my judge. Acts 17.31, let's look here, another again, another verse, excuse me, another again, that's good English there. Acts 17.31. Because he hath appointed the day in which in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Who else could it be speaking about but Jesus Christ to judge the world? John 8:16, John 5:30. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. It's appropriate. First Corinthians 4, and the verse goes on. First Corinthians 4, or 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. So who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So Jesus is our judge. Look with me at Matthew 19, 28. Here's some other judges. In the end. Matthew 19, 28. This next, not this, but there's one passage after this. This is pretty exciting for us as believers. In Matthew 19, 28. So we have Jesus as a judge. Number two, in Jesus, verse 28 of Matthew 19, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's talking to the twelve disciples here. So, you'd have the 12 disciples judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, look with me, that's another one, 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Isn't this really interesting information as you think about it and just think about the temple and all the symbolism and all the, the parallels of thought of how it relates to my redemption? First Kings, or excuse me. First Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter six, verse one. Now, this passage of scripture here, we'll read the first six verses. And the passage of scripture here is talking about a brother or a sister in the Lord suing another brother or sister in the Lord. Okay, that's what's going on. Verse one of uh, First Corinthians six: Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? What did he just say there? The saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He says the saints, the believers in Jesus Christ will judge the world. That's pretty exciting. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Woo! The the saints, they judge the world, they judge angels. Now Jesus is the ultimate judge. How that works in the whole system, and you know, the hierarchy of you know, you go up the court system. I don't know, but it says, this is what it says. How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so? There's not a wise man among you, no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brother. But brother goeth the law with brother and that before the unbelievers. It is absolutely abominable for a believer to sue another believer in this very, what he's saying here. He says, can't you deal with it inside the church? Can another believer who's going to one day judge the world, judge the angels, why can we not figure out from the word of God to judge righteously and deal with things? It's a condemnation on the church of Corinth for their carnality. But the saints will judge the world and the angels. That's pretty exciting. He's saying, if you're going to do that someday, why don't you practice it now on even the small matters? Now, how are we judged? How how are we judged, you and I? How is the world judged? 1 Peter 2, verse 23. First Peter, uh, two, <coughs> uh, First Peter two verse twenty three. First Peter two twenty three. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Righteously, a perfect, unbiased, uncompromising moral law. God's law. He also 1 Peter 1, 17. and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the si- time of your sojourning here in fear, he says, according to your works. And we find in James chapter four verse twelve there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? There is one singular ultimate judge, Jesus Christ. Here's something that's scary. Before the world is unbelievers. In Daniel chapter seven verse nine, let's look at Revelation twenty verse twelve, and then we'll go back to Daniel nine. But Revelation chapter twenty verse twelve. So we're we're judged by our works. If we're dead, we're dead in Christ. We're we're dead. Dead to Christ. Excuse me, not dead in Christ, but dead to Christ. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Daniel 7, 9, and verse 10, particularly the end of verse 10, the judgment was set, and the books were open. So all the works of the world, guess what happens? The dead... Are now under the the law. The temple in heaven is opened, and that law is judging. That law is seeing every work that they've ever done, and they're judged by every work, every motive of the heart. Now, there's two categories of people, as the scripture tells us those who either receive or reject Christ, Romans 2. The hardness of their heart. Notice the phrase there's two deaths in Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. We have a physical death, but then there's the eternal death in hell. There's believers, there's non believers, there's Christ rejectors that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.12. Christ rejectors, they're damned. That law, under the temple of heaven, under the justice system of God, it says guilty. Look at me at John chapter 3, verse 17. See why it's significant here in verse 19 of Revelation 11. It's mentioning the ark because in there is the law. And if that mercy seat is not covered by the blood of Christ. If if you didn't accept that gift by faith, that mercy seat is not covered. And you are guilty. John 3, 17. For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not Condemned, but he that believeth not, excuse me, he that believeth on him, he that believeth, excuse me, correct that. He that believeth on him is not condemned. You're not under the justice. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemnation is the default conviction of every person. John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth n- Not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That law has given the default conviction. The books are open, all the works are written which you have done. And imagine God opening up every secret thing you've ever done before everyone. And you don't have an advocate. You enter into that holy place and you're dead. Physically dead, second time because you died. Or excuse me, you died on Earth, the second death. As we'll talk about, I haven't gotten here yet. I'll have to get to it next week. But God's wrath is on you. Jesus knew the justice. He goes into the holy place with his own life, his own death, his own blood to cover the justice that is my default conviction. Because if I don't accept the gift that He's given to go into that holy place for me, all I have to look forward to is the books being open, all my works being laid out, and convicted to an eternity without Christ. Eternity in hell. God's wrath abides on you. That is a fearful thing to be. John chapter 12, look with me here. So, that temple, as this scene follows the verse 18, you better make sure that Jesus has entered that holy place for you, that gift. You've accepted his gift for eternal life. John 12, 47. if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judge him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, the very thing. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. He says, I entered into that holy place because unless that priest did that once a year as a forward-looking picture of what Jesus would do eternally for me that one time in my place is my advocate before the Father and shed His blood on that cross, the full weight of that law is upon. To save the world means there's an imminent destruction. He says, not to judge, but to save. Save from what? What are you being saved from? The penalty, the power of sin. It's an imminent destruction, a fearful destruction. And I'm going to talk about some of the horrors of hell next week. This is not a word that is used in a curse word in a cavalier mention. This is a place of unspeakable horror. Israel's rejection of Christ in Acts 13.46 is to esteem themselves as unworthy of everlasting life. They would say in Acts 13.46, at the end of it, to judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Great punishment for lightly esteeming the redemption of Christ. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. I've got two points left here. And then I will have to pick up next week. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite in the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. He's saying there's justice coming for your wrong. The Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. My friend, you lightly esteem or handle with a very light fashion the redemption, the blood of Christ going into that holy place for us. The full weight of the law is upon you if you're not saved tonight, that ought to shake you in your boots. And if you're watching tonight and you're not saved, and you're under all of the weight of the law, and you better get right with God. You better repent of your sins and realize you deserve God's penalty of justice and hell. Now, the Christ acceptors, the Bible tells us, we are no longer bound to the justice of the law of sin and death. We are freed from that. Acts 13. Being known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law. The law can never forgive. The, inside the law there is nothing written to forgive. The laws of Canada do not give the, the they don't give the weight it just tells you right and wrong here's what we tell you is right and here's you know you go outside of that's wrong there's not forgiveness there's not mercy there's not grace it's just the law it is what it is you transgress it you break it you, you step over that boundary that is set there's consequences you can't be forgiven by the law of Moses. Those Ten Commandments, you can't. In Acts 26, 18, my last verse this evening, I'll have to bring it to a close. There's so much more I could go. It's exciting. I trust it's exciting as you think about with the temple and the symbolism. and There's a lot more I could go on with the temple and I went into that I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago or a year ago or whatever, but there's a lot there and it's very, very exciting as you think about that. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul recounts the Lord Jesus speaking to him, but an inheritance of eternal life. Forgiveness, the mercy seat. The mercy seat and the shed blood on that mercy seat on my place and yours. Receive forgiveness of sins, and guess what happens? As Jesus is in the holiest of holy places in heaven, on my behalf, His blood on mine, I now have an inheritance in heaven. I can enter the holy place. I can have direct access to God. Enter boldly. That's amazing. And That is exciting. And we come back to Revelation chapter 11. And the temple of God was open in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. There were lightning, voices, and thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail, great justice is coming. And what we'll read as we go on here in Revelation is unbelievably horrific. It's justice. Because they did despite and they trod underfoot the blood of Jesus. And they didn't fear. They didn't quake at what God's justice system is. They're God's wrath. They, they weren't fearful of it. And Oh my. Christian, that ought to be something in our hearts and lives as we think about the goodness and greatness of our God, that holy place Jesus entered for me. But whew, if you don't accept that mercy seat and the blood on that mercy seat, everything that's going to come, man, you're going to sure wish you did in eternity when you're in hell. I wish I would have accepted. I want to ask you tonight are you under the justice of the ark? Are you under the justice of the law, or are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? As you think upon these truths tonight, I trust, Christian, that we would live with a reverential, holy fear of God, understanding He is my judge. And I want to make Him happy. I want to please Him for the rest of my life. I could have Mr. Pat come forward tonight for invitation, please. I want you to think about that. Are number one, are you under the justice of the ark? Are you under the justice of the law? All of us are, by default. All of us are guilty. And unless you've received the gift of Jesus entering into the holiest place there in heaven, and his shed blood on that mercy seat for me and for you. We're not forgiven. So, tonight, if you'll simply ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and be your Savior, you understand I am a guilty, vile reprobate. And I'll ask you to forgive me. God, I am so sorry that your sin was so wicked, but that mercy seat is so forgiving. And, Christian, we ought to live with appreciation of how wonderful the gift that we have as an inheritance of eternal life, we can receive forgiveness wherein we could never do it ourselves. We have to be appreciative of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the music plays tonight, as we come to the invitation, friend I trust, as a, if you know Christ as your Savior, man, I ought to be so thankful for Jesus. It ought to be the joy of my heart as I consider that blood on the mercy seat for me and for you and for every man, and woman and boy and girl. Because if that blood is not on that mercy seat on your place and mine, we're in trouble. I'm so thankful of accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior April 30th, 1986. I trust you've had a time in your life where you know for sure you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. Recognize your condition as a vile, wicked, condemned, hell-worthy sinner. In simple faith, you trust what the Bible says, that Jesus paid it all. And you ask Him to forgive you your sins and be your Savior, you can be forgiven. Wonderful truth. May we rejoice in that principle tonight song will come to a close here shortly oh friend would we rejoice in the gift of Jesus Christ the imagery the love <laughs> he came to save me and save you he knew the destruction that I deserved let's pray dear Heavenly Father Lord thank you the fact that those of us who know Christ as our Savior we're not under the justice of the Ark, God, we are within the realm of the redeemed. Lord, we've been forgiven, and because Lord, you went to that holy place for me, I can go straight to the throne room of God. Thank you, Father. Thank You, Jesus, for realizing my destruction that I deserve. Father, may I live with a love for You. Oh, Lord, help us to have a proper fear of You. Realize You judge, but Lord, You love. And Lord, may it keep us right as we live in the fear of God. Lord, as we'll speak further next week on this very topic, God, I pray that we would rejoice and be thankful that I'm not under the justice of the ark. I've been forgiven. I love you. I trust you've been pleased. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.